Welcome, everyone, to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is the Attack on Titan special event. In honor of the epic conclusion to the show that defines this generation of anime, we're reviewing every single episode of the final season. Except this time, it's just one episode, a one-hour special called Attack on Titan, the final season, the final chapters, special or special one or the final season part three depending on where you're getting your titling from as always there'll be spoilers about anything that's happened in the attack on titan anime so you've been warned the final 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 season final version chain of future memories version three <laughs> i mean honestly let's xlsx <laughs> let's take a second to talk about this naming convention i don't understand what's going on here Really, I think the cleanest title would be Attack on Titan, the final season, part three. Because we've already had part one, we've had part two, this would be considered part three, and then whatever MAPPA's doing for the grand finale, assuming it is the grand finale, that could be part four. Or if they really wanted to be, you know, clever with the naming convention, it could be the final part. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's an actual episode number tied to this special is i'm looking at wikipedia i mean it has like the chronological order where this would be like an episode 88 uh but then it titles it as the final chapters part one and even in the episode itself you know how it usually has that that gray title card and then the ominous music comes in and it says the episode number like we didn't get any of that it just said Chapter one and then chapter two, which is very odd. We With didn't even get Armin narrating anything. Yeah. That was really weird. It just goes right into it. No OP, no Armin narration, nothing. Like it's it's just straight into it, which makes it feel like a true special, like an anime special versus an, you know, a sequential episode. But yeah, the naming convention is all over the place. I think a lot of places have it as the final chapter special or special one. Um, but I've seen, you know, part three thrown out there. I know that's on Mal as well. So we're just going to do the best that we can and try to keep up with whatever MAPPA is trying to call this thing. But the title is just so obnoxious at this point. But, you know, it is what it is. And I'm just glad that we even have more Attack on Titan. Speaking of obnoxious, can we just talk about th this episode premiere? How how botched it was when on that Friday when it was supposed to premiere like everyone was waiting for Crunchyroll to drop it and I think typically it's like an hour after it airs in Japan which by our time it would have been like 9 30 in the morning when the episode aired in Japan but I think like 10 30 rolled around and there's still nothing and then I was just scrolling through Twitter and I was seeing like Crunchyroll was posting tweets about random things, like even like the, the Demon Slayer, uh, Swordsmith Village arc movie that came out. And the responses to that were like people like, give us the episode or <laughs> just like trolling Crunchyroll or dragging its name through the mud. It's just weird that Crunchyroll didn't give any updates on when they would actually release the episode. I wouldn't be surprised if they honestly didn't even know when they'd have it available to release because the update about this being a one hour special came only a f like, you know, a handful of weeks ago. Um, I think we were all anticipating that this would be a, a season, maybe like a 12 episode season or something like that. 
And then Mappa's like, oh, I'm um, just kidding. In a few weeks, we're just going to release a one-hour special. So that's like one thing. But then I, I'm wondering if the streaming services then had to change their game plan to accommodate the one-hour special and try to get their hands on it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, it is the whole thing is very weird. And honestly, I think a lot of the fandom has been very worried with all of these, like, last minute changes and extensions of the story and you know it's it's, you're not getting the ending yet we're going to give you another part and then the ending comes later but i think all in all this one hour special delivered yeah i mean after all that craziness and after all the anticipation of waiting a year for this final season part three i'll I'll call it part three part one that's how i'm gonna call this i'm just gonna Uh, call it the final season part three because i i don't know man this is like throwing me for a loop but yeah after all of that i agree like this special still blew me away and it just sent chills down my spinal fluid almost every five minutes uh, as we were watching it and you know it was dawning on me as we were watching the episode just how close we are to the end of this amazing story but this special still allowed us to kind of savor every moment with jaw-dropping imagery of the rumbling to like a tear-jerking sacrifice that had to be made to a fist-raising climax that quite nearly gave me a renewed hope in our own humanity. But man, that hour flew by way too quickly. It really did. And they broke it up into two chapters. Chapter one, The Rumbling. Chapter two, Sinners. Is that what it was called? Yes. So they they had like a nice um, break, I guess, in between, although the break was like five seconds long for the chapter card. But I think it allowed for some good pacing. Um, it didn't make it feel like an extended episode or like a movie necessarily. It felt like it really was two chapters of something larger. But I, I agree with everything that you said. I think the rumbling, chapter one, the rumbling was insane. I mean, just just an emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, the, the amount of emotions that I felt um, was pretty crazy from some of the most hype moments that I've had in a long time with Attack on Titan and some of the most depressing moments. And then Sinners, I think, just was the cherry on top because that was a ton of action, a ton of suspense all the way through with an ending that's, of course, a cliffhanger because it's Attack on Titan, but one that has me ridiculously excited for whatever this very last part is going to be. Yeah, I think this special pretty much checked off all the boxes of things that we would expect in Attack on Titan, just all compressed into one episode, which is the action, the the, the, the depression. <laughs> the depression. Um, you know, like the, what do we call it? I was going to say philosophy, but, you know, like... The uh, talking on Titan, we got <laughs> a little bit of that, but I think it, everything just balanced so well of the things that we have come to know and love for Attack on Titan in this special. And we have a, a number of, of friends that have read the manga and have been very nice to us. They've been very good to us about not spoiling anything for the ending of Attack on Titan. But I remember after we watched the the final season part three, We asked our friends, without spoilers, to tell us if they think that there's enough content left in Attack on Titan to warrant a traditional season for later this year, because Attack on Titan is going to come back at some point in the latter part of 2023. And they said no. 
So again, no spoilers. We, we didn't get any information from them other than no, they, they're guessing there's probably enough content for maybe another one hour special. So I think that's where a lot of people are, like a lot of people are anticipating that this is going to wrap up with another shorter segment. But that kind of is crazy. Like we're, we're literally that close to the grand finale. Yeah, I, I would anticipate another one hour special. Again, I'm not saying that the Wikipedia title says the final chapter is part one. I'm not saying like that's like an official title, but just by that logic, I'm sure part two will be you know, chapters three and four, and then that'll wrap up the series. Because I can't imagine if like the, the, the <laughs> called them this throughout our special event, the LD Avengers have finally reached Aaron. They're on top of the founding Titan. I can't imagine that being stretched out into like a 13 episode core, right? It's like, yeah, that'd be just too much of a talking on Titan, a talking <laughs> on a literal Titan. Well, I think we should dive into it because there's a lot to talk about. There was a lot that was presented in this one hour special. So let's jump into it. Um, for those of you who are less familiar with our Attack on Titan special event, the intention behind this is a celebration um, of the upcoming conclusion of this epic historic anime. So in addition to our regular schedule, whenever Attack on Titan premieres, we have Attack on Titan special event episodes that happen. So normally you'd be getting these weekly if they had weekly episodes, but here it's just one big episode to talk about, review, discuss this final season part three. And if you enjoy this Attack on Titan special episode and all of the content that we have at Strictly Anime, please consider supporting us. There's a number of different ways that you can do so. Um, if you are listening to us on a platform where you can leave a rating or review, that would be super helpful if you did that, especially Spotify, because you can leave a star rating on the podcast. You can also follow and subscribe to us to get notified when we have new episodes that get released. You can join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series. You can tell a friend about our podcast because one of the best ways that podcasts grow are through word of mouth. Or if you have a few dollars to throw our way, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. All right, so let's kick things off with a synopsis. All right, AOT fans, make sure you don't lose it all or slip and fall as we rumble our way into our synopsis and discussion for Attack on Titan The Final Season Part 3, aka The Final Chapters Part 1. Starting with Chapter 1, The Rumbling. After a brief flashback to young Mikasa and Eren a long time ago in a parody's Far Far Away, we snap back to reality, oh, there goes Ramsey and his fellow Aladdin cosplayer, who find themselves at the mercy of Aaron Yeager Monster and his Operation DualShock Rumbling, a genocidal catastrophe that he knew well in advance that he had nothing in his Titan power to stop because he just keeps moving fucking forward. We bear witness to the weeping and the moaning and the gnashing of teeth and oh, the humanity! But before this episode becomes an all-out splatterfest, we dash across to the other side of the sea as the LD Avengers approach the port of Odiha to service their boat with wings before booking a one-way ticket to stop the rumbling. Armin decides that it's the end of the world, so fuck it. Leon Harlert is officially canon, although the female Titan wielder's response to Annie, are you okay, is that she is far from it, 
and just wants to pull a Yoshikage Kira and live a quiet life while keeping a sulking Falco Punch and gung-ho Gabby at bay. Meanwhile, Lowrise Levi leads the group in interrogating a downtrodden Yelena, who spills that Eren Jaeger monster is beelining it towards a Marleyan airbase in the middle of who fucking knows to ensure that air superiority does not hinder his wrathful world tour. So good call on Hizuru Nation for saying, fine, I'll do it myself, and building their own aircraft away from Eren's arrogance. But just as the boat with wings wraps up its newest software patch, Floating Flockboy the Fuckboy drips his way in to ruin everything as usual before he dies a prideful Jaeger simp. With the flying boat mere minutes away from being trampled by wall titans looking for a beachside getaway, Metal Gear Hanj decides that it's her time to shine and gives Armin command of the scouts before pulling a Hodor and holding the door against the wall titans, allowing the LD Avengers to escape on the boat with wings in the nick of time. Although burnt to a crisp after her sizzling sacrifice, Hanj wakes up in a mysterious realm where she is greeted by Erwin Dancho and his caravan of comrades, which begs the question, where in the Wardo did Hanj end up? So there's no OP in this special, so we won't be talking about an OP, but we'll save the ED for the end of the discussion. So let's jump into chapter one, the rumbling. My first question right off the bat, those two kids... Halil and Ramsey were those the kids that stole the scout's wallet during the ice cream scene in I think part two yeah I think that was the final episode in part two I think it was Ramsey the main the main kid in the scene who had stolen it was a wallet was it they steal it it from Levi or something I think he did but I can't remember (laughs) who do you think it was Rigby (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Rigby says he's not sure. But even here, so I, this this whole part with Halil and Ramsey, like I, it shows that on the other side of the world where there's supposed to be freedom, where the scouts thought there would be freedom, you have Ramsey's family and friends who are living in poverty and aren't necessarily treated with respect to the point where they have to steal in the hopes that the money that they're taking can help their people survive the winter. And this is exactly what has Aaron so incredibly distraught when he finally makes his way to the other side of the sea and realizes things are nowhere near what he had hoped they'd be. And that's his whole sequence. It's Aaron reflecting on the, the future memories that he has of what's going to occur with the the rumbling. And he, he says things like, you know, it's already determined that I'm going to kill all these people. He asks what his mom would think. Um, he questions if, you know, Eldian's dying is really the only solution or the best solution. And then he finds Ramsey at one point and asks himself if it's even worth saving him. He kind of feels like it's pointless to do so. Because no matter what he does, the future memories are still going to play out the way they're supposed to. And that's exactly exactly what happens. Aaron does end up saving him. So I think what he's trying to do here is reflect on the future memories and find any glimmer of hope that he can change the future. Wait, but Aaron doesn't save him. I, I mean, in this scene he does, but then Ramsey ends up getting crushed by the wall oh yeah no to clarify i'm talking about like just the flashback that aaron has mm-hmm. so in the flashback or i guess the flashback we're seeing of aaron with his shorter hair and he's in marley or whatever he says as the boy's getting beat up in the alleyway by those adults 
you know, should I even bother saving him? You know, I've committed so many wrongful acts. I have no right to act righteous now. Um, I can't change the future. But he knew that he would still end up saving him because he saw that future memory of mm-hmm. saving him, saving him from the guys that are beating him up. But then ultimately, it, it didn't even matter. Well, yeah, but the point mm-hmm. that I'm getting at is no, that... No, yeah, I, I get, yeah. Yeah, like Aaron knew that he was going to save this kid from getting beat up. And even though he's about to turn around and walk away, he can't go against what ultimately feels like fate. I don't know why. I, I thought this was just mind-blowing, just seeing that Aaron knew well ahead of time, like I said in the synopsis, that he was going to have to destroy the rest of the world with the rumbling. I mean, I feel like that kind of justifies why he becomes like an an emo Aaron <laughs> after this point, um, just because, you know, like, it's everything is happening in his hands or to use like a, a like a card game reference like he saw the hand he was dealt but that i don't know why i suddenly thought of this if you remember the show on disney channel that's so raven yeah <laughs> you know how like the, the main character raven has these premonitions of things that she sees will happen in the future but then they don't always play out the way that she expects so sticking with the analogy of the card game if Aaron saw the hand he was dealt is he kind of gambling on the LD Avengers to have a better hand against him which I think they'll end up discussing on the flying boat in chapter two of this episode yeah and I've got thoughts on that for sure and we'll dive into that more especially when Armin starts questioning you know is Aaron really free why do, why do we have this freedom why isn't he why isn't he controlling us uh, but in this flashback we we get that heartbreaking moment where after Aaron saves Ramsey um, and takes him to wherever the fuck he takes him to, we just see him apologizing profusely to Ramsey over and over again while sobbing because he's absolutely distraught. He's absolutely torn to pieces at what he has to do, what he will do, because no matter what he tries to change, nothing will change the future, or at least nothing has changed the future as of yet. And he sobs, I think, twofold at what's going to happen in the future, but also what he's already witnessed in the past, meaning the reality of the world outside the walls is different than what he had hoped for. Mm -hmm. It's different from, as he says, different from Armin's book, and he is disappointed. He literally says, I'm disappointed. So, like, I think these tears are coming from two very distinct places And that's a lot weighing on Aaron's shoulder. Like, he's so upset. He's so disappointed at something he's been fighting for since episode one of this entire show. And then on top of that, he's going to have to just destroy everything anyway. Right. Because, you know, Aaron, young Aaron and Armin dreamed of a world beyond the walls where they could truly be free. But then it's become apparent as as Attack on Titan has gone onwards that the world beyond the walls is just as grotesque and as cruel. And I think it's just so depressing for Aaron to think that the world basically needs to be destroyed in this sense because there really is there really is no hope or I guess a real sense of freedom for anyone. I mean, yeah, the Eldians, because that's who he's currently championing, like that side, but... Like, yeah, there's basically, there's no freedom, even though he is currently fighting for freedom. And you get that that interesting scene of him declaring that this is freedom 
as a young boy in the clouds. What did you think of that scene, though? I don't know, actually. <laughs> I don't understand. That's one of my biggest questions is like, all the imagery of Aaron as a child. But we see this earlier on. I think in one of the EDs um, during the Wit Studio days, there's uh, a moment where Aaron's just staring outward toward like the sky and the water and he's not moving, but younger Aaron is running around him, even bumps into him and like says something to him and then runs was, off screen. Um, Final season part two, wasn't it? With Akuma no Ko. Oh, was it? Yeah. With the long-haired Aaron, right? And they're in that field? No. This no? is Aaron with short hair in his scout outfit. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. Oh, no, no. I know. You're talking about, yeah, season three, part one. The flight to the fly to heaven. Yes, I think yes. so. Okay, I remember <laughs> this. Oh, yeah. That was the same exact scenery. Because I always questioned, and I think I, we talked about this a little bit in our retrospective episodes for Attack on Titan seasons one through three, um, that... Yeah, I, I questioned why does younger Aaron bump into and acknowledge older Aaron? Like that is so distinct to me. It's not just younger Aaron running around older Aaron as if like older Aaron is having a memory of him as a younger kid. They actually interact because he bumps mm-hmm. into him. Older Aaron kind of, I guess, like reacts to that that nudge physics wise. <laughs> he doesn't look at him yeah. like his younger self, but he you can tell they actually make contact. Um, and so that was like, that stood out to me. And I think that's what's coming into play with the imagery we're seeing in this special of younger Aaron. But really, I don't know. I don't know like what all that is. What did you think it was? No, you, you kind of gave that OP new meaning, even though like song wise, that probably wasn't my favorite OP. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think we'll probably talk about this later. I think whatever realm the young Aaron is in this scene where he declares this is freedom i feel like that might also be connected to whatever realm hanj ends up in at the end of this chapter where she reunites with the fallen scouts yeah i mean they look very similar the bright like semi-cloudy sky um and just the clearing that they're in yeah which is like odiha after it's been rumbled through (laughs) <laughs> yeah, although the younger Aaron is like flying in the sky, but is that mm. because of like all the imagery we see ar- around birds, birds flying up and out of the sky, like they can make it over the walls because they have true freedom? Is this Aaron saying this is freedom because he's reached the sky literally? <laughs> I as don't know. <laughs> or is it like this is what Aaron as a founding titan feels like, like even though there's imagery of him laying a path of destruction does he think this is freedom? Like seeing it through a rose-colored lens. Yeah, and then on top of that, younger Aaron, after he says this is freedom, his eyes go from like bright and you know inspired to like glazed over almost. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's him saying, yeah, this is freedom, but not my freedom. Or like this is freedom, but at what cost? You know, he's recognizing that there is something underlying here that mm-hmm. is not good. Actually, speaking of younger Aaron... Uh, I think we forgot to mention the very beginning of this episode. Oh, shit, you're right. With the the flashback to a younger Aaron and Mikasa. I think the episode opens with Mikasa reaching her hands out to wake up Aaron, although she says, I'll see you later. Uh, I don't know if like this showing this scene kind of symbolizes how Mikasa could be a like the potential key to bringing Aaron back to his 
his humanity, his hu- <laughs> his humanity. What are you, a cat? His humanity. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was interesting for the special to open up with this this scene. And that's the same scene that opens up the entirety of the the show, Attack on Titan, right? Yes, I think this is from the very first episode where we see Aaron waking up from his from dreaming under that tree. I think this is actually a a shot for shot remake of that first scene where we see Aaron and Mikasa, but it's just Mappa's version. And it's funny because I saw a a side-by-side comparison of which studio's version and Mappa's version. I think the way that you can tell this is Mappa's version is also by the way that the windmills are spinning (laughs) because it spins opposite of the direction that they're spinning in the Wit Studio version. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All those small details. Yeah, so if anyone would like to see it, I'll drop a link to that video. It's on YouTube. Uh, we'll share it in the Discord. Before we actually jump into the rumbling part itself, I, I just want to call out one more time how much I love this flashback scene of Aaron when he first gets to Mario. Like, I, I just, I love it so much because we finally get some clarity around what we've been wondering throughout the final season, which is like, does Aaron actually care? Mm-hmm. How is he feeling this entire time? Because he's been so distant, he's been so closed off. And finally, we get to see how alone, terrified, absolutely destroyed and distraught Aaron was this whole time, knowing that he's going to do something he wished he didn't have to do. And again, it explains why he's trying to find these small signs of being able to change the future. Like the one that sticks out to me the most is when he asked Mikasa, what am I to you? And she kind of gets flustered and hesitates and ultimately says, your family. But I don't know if that was the answer Aaron was looking for. And mm-hmm. you guys know me. I ship the shit out of Mikasa and Aaron. So I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm hopeful that that was Aaron's way of trying to get her to admit to her feelings for him. Um, and I think it's like twofold, right? Like getting, getting confirmation he can change the future, but also maybe trying to draw something out of Mikasa. But either way, it's like, it's just all these, these moments where Aaron is desperately clinging on to some glimmer of hope that he doesn't have to follow through with the rumbling. And we might ask, why doesn't he just not do it then? But I think he's already tried to think through all of the alternatives um, one of them being the youth, euthanasia of um, Eldians or whatever. Euthanization. Euthan- yeah. <laughs> oh my God, what did I say? <laughs> euthanasia. No, yeah, no, it's, there's euthanasia, but I think like euthanization is like the like the process or whatever. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's ta- I, I'm sure he's considered all the options, especially knowing what he knows about the future. So I feel like the rumbling is happening because there is no other way to achieve what he's trying to achieve. That's my assumption, Mm. right? Because if you have, he's got all the cards. He's got all of the Titan powers he needs to make things happen. And he already knows how the future could play out if the rumbling does happen. So I don't know, like he could, in my mind, he could just choose a different path, choose a different option. But maybe he knows that none of those will have the outcome that he's seeking. That just makes me curious how far into the future he can see like what happens after the rumbling uh but i was just <laughs> thinking back to the you're talking about the scene with uh aaron asking mikasa like what am i to you i, I remember thinking that w- be- based on mikasa's answer of her calling him family i think <laughs> i was thinking like maybe that's why aaron 
started the rumbling because he realized Mikasa didn't love him. He got family zoned. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of friend zoned, he got family zoned. Mm-hmm. I know that's a big meme that went around after that scene came out. It's like, oh, he's just doing all this because he's salty that the girl he likes doesn't like him back. <laughs> yeah. But that, like, I'm also thinking like with you mentioning about him having to weigh the options, I don't know if he feels like between the euthanization plan and the rumbling, if he thought the rumbling was somehow the lesser of two evils like like the means kind of justifying the ends whatever those ends may be even though like choosing a a, a basically an apocalypse to quote-unquote save the world sounds somewhat weird i think it, the euthanization plan doesn't grant the eldians the people he loves and cares about true freedom it right. just doesn't because now a, a, a large choice of theirs is now taken away from them. Like, wh- how is that truly free? You know what I mean? Like, you get mm-hmm. to spend your, you get to live out your days, I guess. But will that really stop the rest of the world from hating you for things that your your ancestors done, had done? Yeah. Then on the flip side, with him starting the rumbling, it doesn't give anyone on the main continent or the rest of the world a choice of whether or not they want to survive and so. he says that i think in the in chapter two i'm jumping ahead a little bit but he says to everybody in paths like i'm taking away everyone else's freedom to give you freedom so he recognizes mm-hmm. that what he's doing isn't actually going to achieve freedom for everybody but maybe he's not trying to get achieve freedom for everybody he's just trying to achieve freedom for the eldians or for his loved ones I'm not sure, but this is kind of where the, so the rumbling sequence starts to be peppered in or spliced in as Aaron is apologizing to Ramsey. And this whole sequence is great. I love how they strategically spliced in specific moments of the rumbling as Aaron's talking to Ramsey, because that just amplifies how upset Aaron is and how destructive and horrible the rumbling is yeah it's almost like very ironic because Aaron's apologizing for what he's about to do even though we know in the moment of the rumbling he's like laser focused on just stampeding the world and yeah just all of these images were just really shocking and almost evocative of a really gritty war film yeah, props to Mappa for making the rumbling sequence feel so fucking real. Watching that destruction and Ramsey getting crushed, like all of it was awful, but in an enthralling way because you could feel the terror and and also kind of fully appreciate how hard this is for Aaron. And I kind of kept wondering leading up to the 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 rumbling, like we've seen it in part two of the final season, but just like scratching the surface of it. So I kept wondering like how... How are they going to pull this off? Like, how how will the Wall Titans um, actually pull off annihilating everyone and everything? Because I couldn't, I just like couldn't wrap my head around people not being able to like outrun them or, or dodge them because there's a lot of space in between each Wall Titan. But the way they portray it does make it feel very real. It makes it feel so inescapable and so terrifying mm-hmm. because you have to remember on top of getting squished, there's also rubble being thrown around everywhere. There's also people getting burnt from the heat the wall titans are emitting. So it's not just getting stomped on. There's all these other things at play. Um, and just the mass amount of wall titans shows how inescapable this is. I especially like 
you know, the scene with the guy and his jalopy <laughs> as he's oh, trying yeah. to drive away. <laughs> and then, you know, like the crowd around him, like tries to like carjack him basically. But even the car isn't fast enough to escape the path. Like there, there's no, <laughs> there's no escape at all. And then we see among these giant ass wall titans how huge Aaron's founding titan is in comparison. Like mm-hmm. we again, we got glimmers of it in the final season part two, but here we're seeing like side by side comparisons when they kind of pan the camera from the ground up, starting with a wall titan and then going way above the wall titan's heads to where the backside of Aaron is, which by the way is really fucking weird to me. That he he like technically is walking on all fours with a giant rib cage in between him. I didn't realize that his ass was on the back end. I just thought it was like floating out there. But yeah, his his founding titan is humongous. And um Aaron says, like, during this moment when they're kind of panning across the founding titan, Aaron says that from the moment he was born, there's always been this stifling wall in front of him. But it's ironic because now he's becoming the wall for other people, him and the wall of titans. The one thing that I have to say about Aaron's founding titan is that we finally see his his legs. So he, I don't think he actually walks on all fours because he's still dangling at the front. Oh, shit. You're right. He's got like T-Rex arms, right? Yeah. But you can tell that he definitely skipped leg day. <laughs> he's got some crazy like core muscles to be able to keep his front end right. hovering over the ground with T-Rex arms. How heavy are all of those ribs? <laughs> So we transition from the rumbling, all that horrible destruction, um, and that transition happens through paths. We see that moment of like younger Aaron, and then it switches over to paths, and Armin is there, also witnessing younger Aaron for a, a hot second. And then he's pulled back into the real world, which is him on the boat talking to Annie. Let's talk about this. I've been waiting <laughs> to talk about this shit for so fucking long. I ship Aaron and Mikasa, and I also ship Annie and Armin. Holy fucking shit. But why? Because <laughs> Armin deserves happiness, okay? He's, he's a cute boy with a cute crush, and finally he gets to reunite with his crush and gets uh, gets some confirmation that maybe his feelings don't go one way. Yeah, although I keep thinking of Annie back in season one and just how much of a crazy ass she is although like now she's obviously softening her tone um kind of become more cynical about the world but i think it's armin who kind of gives her a the sense of normalcy that was missing for her since she had to fight as a warrior uh because i think all she wanted to do was just come back home to her father and that 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 couldn't even happen because she was stuck in the crystal and now that her father's gone or she presumes that her father's gone. It's like all is lost for her. But yeah, it's nice that Armin gave her a, a, a bit of comfort. Although I was thinking like since Armin has inherited Bertolt's memories and I don't know if like that, I forget if like Titan wielders kind of pick up the traits of their previous inheritors. Like if it's just Bertolt's feelings for Annie transferring over to Armin as well. No, Armin liked Annie way before that. Because there's always those jokes about um, when when Armin was like chastising Bertolt back in like season two, two or three or whatever, um, saying like, oh, and we've got Annie, we're torturing her or whatever. That was like funny because the two of them are like love interest rivals when it comes mm. to, to Annie. <laughs> so yeah, no, Armin liked her for a while, I believe. 
Um, and so now it's nice to finally get a moment between the two of them that isn't them trying to kill each other. And so we have Annie thanking Armin for talking to her for so many years, basically confirming that she heard every single word. I know that was kind of a question floating out there is like, is she actively listening to everything that he's saying? The answer is yes. So hopefully he didn't say anything too crazy. But then she asked him like why he did it and why he didn't go to talk like with other more cheerful girls or whatever. And he just straight up tells her, like, I wanted to see you. And then there's that moment of the two of them blushing. (laughs) It's like, it's so cheesy, but so adorable at the same time. Because again, like Armin just deserves to be happy. This guy is like the nicest person in the world. Even Annie calls him a good person in this moment. And after all the shit he's been through, I mean, the guy got burnt to a fucking crisp and then got turned into a titan And then had to use that Titan to destroy innocent people, which is hard for everybody, but is especially hard for Armin. So now he's on Annie's level. (laughs) Yeah. So he even says like, oh, you know, I'm not a good person. I don't like when people call me that because I'm just as much of a monster as everyone else is. And this moment, I think, is really great for the two of them because it it's Armin showing Annie that she's not alone. And it's also Annie showing Armin that what he does doesn't go unappreciated. Although there is that moment where she tries to invalidate his feelings, saying, oh, you're just a really nice guy trying to talk to an enemy. But he just straight up, like, he doesn't literally tell her how he feels, but he basically comforts her and reassures her. And that's a huge moment of connection for the two of them. It's like the first instance of romance that we've seen in, like, the main cast of characters in AOT. Um, if you don't count Sasha and Nicolo. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. But even then we didn't see very much of it. Yeah. Like this is the like two characters directly interacting with each other. Yeah, because the other situation I can think of is John having a crush on Mikasa. And of course Mikasa oh, having had, like, a crush that dr- on He had on... that dream about Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that still makes me sad. <laughs> I love John. He's my favorite. Um, but yeah, his love is unrequited. And then you have of course Mikasa. Unrequited unrequited i say unrequited oh i don't know i I thought it was like unrequited love okay (laughs) either way (laughs) potato potato sasha reference but But then you have mika saw of course with her crush on on aaron which goes spans like the whole but he's family (laughs) yeah but no as far as like a two-way like a reciprocated love i think it's it's uh, Nicolo and Sasha and now Annie and Armin. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Falco and Gabby. Like Falco confessed to Gabby, but I don't oh, think right, Gabby has yeah. given anything in return yet. No, because Gabby just loves the battlefield. <laughs> yeah, and then Bertolt having a crush on Annie. There's actually a lot more romance in this show than, than we realize because I think like... it's it's so overshadowed by the mm-hmm. death and destruction. <laughs> yeah, it's not straight up romance, but it's it's there. Yeah, it's just enough to keep us going. But this romantic moment is abruptly ended when we hear poor baby Falco screaming and, and sobbing as he wakes up to the realization of what happened when he became the Jaw Titan and how how hopeless everything seems. I'm like, oh my God, Falco, he is he's the one we must protect in this show. And it just makes me so sad to hear him freaking out. Right, because technically the, that whole battle happened hours beforehand where he turned into the jaw titan yeah and he doesn't remember because that was his first transformation or second transformation believe so or no no it's his first transformation as the jaw titan he had transformed to a pure titan and then ate galliard 
yeah. for Porco, but he didn't actually turn into the Jaw Titan until that fight on like he was the dock. Trying or whatever. to say, I forget. <laughs> I I was trying to do a rewatch of Final Season Part One and Part Two. I only got through Part One. Um, wasn't he trying to save somebody, and that's what prompted him to turn into the Jaw Titan? Yes. I was don't it, was it trying to save? I'm, I'm sure he was trying to save Gabby. Probably, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, he turned into the Jaw Titan as like a last ditch effort or a last resort. Um, but because he did that, and it's still early on for him, he doesn't remember everything. So why was he crying? Or was this where he found out that like his brother had died? Or no, I thought he had found that. He, he found, found that, that out early. before, but okay. he's upset because he does. I'm sure Peek and Gabby were filling him in on what had happened on the dock. Where a lot of people died, the rumblings happening, like it's a it's a lot to wake up to, I'm sure. But as the night goes on with the scouts preparing to take flight, we get a little more shipping when it comes to okay, well it sounds wrong. I'm not saying we're shipping Mikasa and Annie, but Mikasa and Annie are chatting. Annie's talking about her decision to back out of the group and stay behind, saying she can't fight anymore. She wants to live her last days peacefully. And that's when Mikasa realizes that Annie has a crush on Armin. And I'm like, let's fucking go. You guys are so close. Everyone knows it now. Um, but, you know, we, we don't quite get anything yet because Annie's still trying to brush it off. But what's important in this moment is that we get that repeat question that has come up multiple times in these later parts of uh, Attack on Titan, where it's a question to Mikasa. What is she going to do when she finally reaches Eren? And she still says that she will not kill him and confirms that she still has the the red scarf that she got from him many, many years ago. So I just I find it interesting that this question constantly comes up because everyone sees Armin as the key to stopping Eren. But I think Mikasa is also viewed as a key to stopping Eren. But it's like their their fortes are different. Or is it saving Aaron? Sa- yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, like I think she's the key to, to saving Aaron, just as you put it. And then Armin is the key to stopping Aaron and the rumbling. Yeah, I think in a way, the the opening scene of this we talked about earlier where young Mikasa is about to wake Aaron up, uh, I think that rings significantly with this scene um, where Mikasa says of her intention to not kill Aaron, but to bring him back. Um, yeah, I, I feel like maybe towards the conclusion of the story, uh, Mikasa will somehow be Aaron's saving grace. and By confessing her love for him. <laughs> <laughs> to him and his weird-looking founding titan form. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's also interesting that she mentions that she still has the scarf because Annie asks like, if it's still with her if she's tossed it because i don't think mikasa's wearing it in this moment uh i think this the scarf was almost like a symbol of her sort of ackerman loyalty to Aaron, where she would just save him from certain things because she had this like unconscious will to but with her having the scarf removed it's like she's making the conscious decision to save Aaron, and it's not like she's bound to him in any way 
Yeah, I love that. I think that's spot on. And I think by her saying I still have the scarf, it shows that she still cares about him. She's not detached from him in any way. But like you said, it's now her making her own choices. She has freedom now, which I think is kind of what Aaron was was getting at when he Mm -hmm. said that whole like, I hate you line or whatever that none of us believe. Okay, I don't believe it. There's something else he's trying to achieve here. By the way, just to backtrack a little bit, uh, I'm on the Attack on Titan wiki and I I'm reading about why Falco is crying. It's because he's heard that the Wall Titans have reached Marley and basically destroyed Liberio. Oh, again, <laughs> it's a lot of shit to wake up to, poor kid. <laughs> yeah, and then sorry, another thing that I wanted to bring up, going back to Armin's conversation with Annie, he says something to the effect of like how the world beyond the walls is a lot different than what he's read in the books about, you know, the fiery waterlands of ice, sandy snowfields. But then he mentioned something like there must still be something beyond the walls that we don't know about. And that's what's, that's an interesting line because I don't know if this goes hand in hand with the realm that we see the young Aaron flying like with his, his head in the clouds or the realm where we later see Hans with the fallen comrades. If those are somehow intertwined is that what you were thinking when armin said that line no i mean that makes sense but my thought was more like oh there's so much more to explore in the world maybe just this part of the world sucks ass but maybe there are Hmm. better things out there like maybe a different planet yeah maybe saying aaron is being too quick to judge the world outside the walls when he's only seen a fraction of it Mm, okay that was my take but i i think either one could be totally plausible so then Yelena and, and Levi and, and Han My boy show Levi. up. <laughs> They're all talking. Yelena finally admits to a bunch of stuff because I don't know why. She's just worried about Zeke. And I'm like, why is she even still fucking alive? I don't know. Because she knows th- she has an understanding of what the plan was supposed to be. Like right. No, I know why they're keeping her alive, but I'm also just like in general, why is she still alive? This oh, bitch no, yeah. needs to die. <laughs> um, so then one line that stuck out with me in this uh, this conversation is when Hanj says to Yelena that she, she being Hanj, wasn't able to show Aaron any hope or future or any other possibility to work towards. And that she's kind of like basically calling herself a failure. But I'm like, it couldn't have all fallen on her or even Erwin or even Levi Because I get like she's the commander and she's also the adult in the situation. Like she's older than him and she can be a guiding light to him. But like I can't imagine all of this falling on Erwin and the crew to right the ship when it comes to Aaron. Because he's been a loose cannon the whole time. That's why they had to put Levi in charge of him. They, They knew the type of person that he was. And when he has something that he's working towards, he's going to do whatever he needs to to achieve it. And he's already defied Levi a million times, like when he went to Marley in the first place and didn't tell anybody. So I just think Hanja's being too difficult on herself, but I think she's also bearing the responsibility of being the commander. I saw it more as Hanja being disappointed in like the bureaucracy of the situation because there was just so much like waiting time for things to happen when, you know, I think Aaron wanted to get a handle of the situation right away with you know like what Zeke was planning to do and like people were just kind of floating around the decision that's true that that that's a good point I totally forgot about those other flashbacks to like the railroad scenes Mm -hmm. where like she's trying to explain like we know we should negotiate we should do these things and Aaron's question like how long is it going to take though 
And he's also like, I only have a few years left in my contract. I, I, you know, I can't wait around like this. I think maybe that's kind of connected to what we talked about in the beginning where like Aaron's been aware of the future where the rumbling occurs this whole time. And he was like hoping that Hanj and like the scouts or the military leadership would find a way to circumvent that from happening by engaging in negotiations or, you know, like somehow establishing peace with the rest of the world, but then that didn't pan out. So then Aaron had to carry out his plan of the rumbling. Yeah, I I think that there have been many hints along the way. Um, I mean, we all knew what happened when he kissed Historia's hand. Like it, un- it unlocked all of those memories mm-hmm. and he fucking freaked out because he probably got bombarded with everything that was going to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe that was another another instance where Aaron, like you said, was hoping the future could be changed, realizing it realized it would not be changed or could not be changed and was like, fuck it, I just gotta I just gotta do it. Mm-hmm. So then we get a couple of other quick scenes. Um we've got Peek saying that she's locked Falco and Gabby in the cabin in the boat because they are not taking them to wherever the fuck they're going with the airplane, which is basically where Aaron's at. Uh yeah, for that because Yelena told them about the air sh- or the air base, Fort Salta, because it has weapons that could possibly take down the founding titan so i think that's where they were assuming like that's where aaron's headed so they were going to use the flying boat to head there yeah and in my head i was being uh, very cynical and saying well falco i mean you could just transform into the jaw titan and then you know as a bonus also blow gabby up <laughs> in your transformation because oh, wow. <laughs> i still am annoyed with gabby um but of course he's got a crush on her so he's definitely not going to do that plus he would also end up killing annie and, and the Hizuru uh, lady. <laughs> Kiyomi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's not going to happen. Um, but then we also see poor Levi trying to work his ODM gear with only two fingers on his right hand, I think. Yeah, he is in very bad shape. But, you know, he's still my boy Levi. Still has that thirst for blood. To, like, He only needs two fingers to fuck Zeke in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have a very touching moment between Annie and Reiner, which is great for the guy who just wants to die already. You know, he needs more positivity in his life. So, so the he fact can that, finally die. Yes, he can finally die. Um, so it's nice that he is able to reconcile things with Annie. They have a hug, which is so sweet. And I thought this was a, a really nice moment for uh, for them to infuse at this point. And then we see Annie heading towards the ship and the OG scouts are telling her bye. And then that's when Mikasa approaches Armin. And it's like the last moment of this like ship. Okay. The last moment of the ship, not the ship that Annie's getting on, but the ship between Annie and Armin. And Mikasa asks Armin if he's really all right with all this and basically insinuating like, are you fine with letting Annie go? And then he blushes, you know, trying to brush it off. And I'm like, dude, just just become canon already. This might be the end of the world. Just just confess your feelings and just make this, you know, make this thing happen. But I think at this point we can pretty much say that Annie, Annie and Armin are basically canon, even if they haven't confessed. Fight me on mm-hmm. it. I dare you. <laughs> I'm going to believe, okay? No, I think they're going to reunite again in... The, the final chapter part two god i hope so i need especially, more of this yeah, especially with something that's established in chapter two of this this special and the last fun nice moment we have um before things start to turn for the worse is hanj 
and Peek having a nice moment and Hanj being true to herself and wanting to ride the cart titans back. And Peek gets so weirded <laughs> out by it. And I forgot that Peek doesn't know Hanj the way everyone else knows her. I forgot right. that Peek is like brand new to this whole situation because Reiner knows her very well. Annie knows her very well, but Peek's the odd man out in this situation. Yeah, but then she holds at the forefront Magath's final order, she mentions, which is for them to work together and do what needs to be done, which, yeah, that that's symbolic of what I've been calling the LD Avengers as a whole is that you have LDNs from both sides of the coin finally working together uh, to actually unite for something that seems to be the greater good with them trying to defeat Aaron and stop the rumbling. Um, and I keep thinking like maybe this is what Aaron wanted to achieve because like he saw so much hate in the world and it was almost like this cycle of violence with Eldians having to attack each other, whether it be through them turning into Titans and being shipped off to parodies to, to kill their own brethren. But with this group finally getting to work together and doing what needs to be done. I think what needs to be done is finally breaking that cycle of hatred. Yeah. And we'll get more hints towards that. Um, I think in the second chapter, cause I, I have additional things to say about that. And then, <laughs> and then, fucking flock shows up and i was like are you fucking serious how did he get here did he swim all the way here but apparently he held onto the boat i don't know i was like when onion capone was talking and i saw someone creeping in the background i'm like no fucking way how is flock still alive because he's just there to always ruin everything but yeah <laughs> i can't think like how long that that ship ride must have been for him to just cling on for the whole time. I know. I like don't buy it. I don't know. For me, that that's that's a fucking stretch. Unless he used his ODM gear to like cling onto the ship and then just rode the waves all the way over there. Like, I don't know. Like, but whatever. He survived because he's a fucking cockroach. And Although I, I did like how you know the the shot shows Onyankopon and he's talking about how the the flying boat is ready to to fly. And then it's just Flock kind of sneaking in the back. Kind of reminds me of how Aaron just happened to walk into the shot of Mikasa and Armin talking at the restaurant. Like, it was very nonchalant. And then you realize, like, this is actually a pivotal moment. So it's almost like, you know, Flock being the Jaeger simp that he is, kind of emanating his dear leader in this scene. And finally, finally, Mikasa deals the killing blow with her ODM gear right to his throat. And I'm like, man, this took way too long. He should have died a long time ago. He should have died on the battlefield with Erwin when they were charging at the Beast Titan. But nope, the guy had pretty decent plot armor up until now. Yeah, he was just alive for this whole time for him to stop the plane from taking off on time that's the whole reason he's <laughs> he's lived up until this point. he just needed to have that one last moment of being fucking annoying <laughs> yeah and then he says the line our devils are our only hope and then he passes away although that shot of his eyes dilating as he passes i thought that was that was pretty cool yeah his death was like pretty epic i mean mm -hmm. yeah i was excited because he finally died but like the way they animated it and the way 
Um, they showed his final moments was was pretty epic. I was annoyed though that everyone, especially Hanj and John, were so concerned for him when he died. Like they looked upset. They looked like not not excited that he was dying. Yeah, because he was a dick to them. Before. Yeah, and I'm like, oh my god, like, why are you guys sad? Like I I get it. Like he's he's an Eldian. He's he was a, a former comrade. Yeah, and like you don't want to see any more death and destruction. But holy shit, he just blew a bunch of holes in the fucking fuel tank like at that point i'd be like all right enough enough is enough and i'm sure that's what mika was thinking when she pierced him in the throat with her odm gear was it the throat i thought it was his heart i thought it was his throat i don't think they actually show it it's like somewhere in the upper chest oh so that's why i thought it was his throat because he sounded like he was like gagging or whatever but it could be the heart because he bled out really like, fast that would be a literal shinzo sasage yeah <laughs> bleed out from his heart but the fun doesn't stop there because the rumbling fucking catches up with them. Perfect storm of a situation. And everyone's freaking out. Everyone's, you know, offering to stay behind to stop the the rumbling. But ultimately, it's Hanj who takes up that that task. And before doing so, she appoints Armin, the leader of the scouts. This is what he has been preparing for for years, whether he <laughs> likes to admit it or not. This is what he's been like groomed for. I mean, Erwin recognized his talents way early on in the show and has been giving him more and more, like steadily giving him more and more responsibility and helping him get ready for this moment. And it's here. Armin is now the leader of the scouts. Holy shit. The reluctant leader. But I think he is probably the most fitting to be a leader. Especially thinking of thinking back to Erwin, even though Erwin was a great commander, we knew that he didn't have humanity's best interest truly at heart because his goal was only to reach the basement and discover the truth, uh, which of course he he didn't get to find out. And then Hanj, I feel like commander wasn't like a role that she was fit for. She was more into you know, like the the Titan research, so. And you know she's always grappling with. I think in the like part two she was wrestling. Part one and part two she was wrestling with like why was I put in this leadership position? But then with her having or her getting to transition the chain of command over to Armin, she can finally do what she wants is just which is just marvel at Titans. Even though these wall Titans are going to be her demise. And she doesn't go out without being a bit of herself. She mm -hmm. jokes to Armin that Levi now reports to him. So he has authority over <laughs> Levi of Keep all people. Keep a tight people. leash. And then she goes over to Levi and they have their very touching goodbye. And it's the first time we ever see and hear Levi say, Shinzo Wosasageo. Han says the same thing. Such a cheesy like movie line. Yeah. And even she <laughs> says that like... I've never heard you say that before. And it's kind of like it. That's kind of weird, but okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've, I think I've shared this before throughout our Attack on Titan reviews that I've always loved their relationship, their friendship. Levi would never admit it, but the two of them have been friends since the start of the anime. They've been the most important duo under Erwin. They've been fighting side by side for so long. And even though Levi pretends like he finds her annoying, which I'm sure on some level he does they've always worked so well together. Like mm -hmm. they have that kind of friendship that you get from Mikasa, Armin, and, and Aaron, or from John, Sasha, and Connie, like that sort of like closeness. Um, so for Levi to be the last one to send Hanj off, I think is absolutely fitting. With Hanj's fight scene against the wall titans, I think 
this is the best iteration of ODM gear animation that we've gotten from MAPPA. It's very close to being on par with like the magic of Wit Studios ODM gear animation. It doesn't quite reach it, I have to say. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. It's still, it doesn't feel as clean as Wit Studios ODM gear animation because sometimes it felt like Hanj was out of shot where I feel like in Wit Studio days, like whoever the camera was focusing on, like you could see them fly deftly through the air. But it was still a gripping and emotional scene nonetheless, just knowing that this is Hanj's final curtain call. And she went out with a bang for sure. Yeah, and Wit Studio always had that sort of elegance to their yeah. ODM scenes, especially when it came to any time, like anytime Levi was using his ODM gear. And I, I just think that MAPPA has not been able to and probably will not be able to capture that magic. But what they gave us here was really, really good and a perfect send off for Hanj, as much as it pains us all to say that it is her send off. And it's kind of interesting that she, her, her final moments in this fight are pulling an Armin, basically, because she gets burnt to a crisp getting yeah. so close to the Wall Titans. I was about to say there are a lot of parallels with her taking on these Wall Titans and with Armin having to withstand Bertolt as the Colossal Titan as he's emitting his steam. It has the same energy, um, especially because both of them are acting as a, a sort of decoy in, you know, for... Armin, it was allowing Eren to sneak up behind Bertolt as the Colossal Titan. And here it's Hanj allowing time for the flying boat to properly take off. And both of them sacrificing themselves for the rest of the scouts, mm -hmm. you know, which is something that a commander would would normally do. Um, yeah, there, there are a lot of great parallels here. And I don't know about anyone else, but I feel like that moment of seeing Hanj wake up on the ground was like, was such a tease because I had that reaction of like, oh shit, is there still a chance she's okay? She survived. And then you hear Erwin's voice and then you're like, it, you immediately do a 180 and you're like, no, it's official. She fucking died. <laughs> There's no way she would hear Erwin otherwise. I mean, Erwin's, or Erwin, Erwin's voice was a, a warm welcome. Uh, it was great to hear Daisuke Ono again as Commander Erwin. But then you know that she has passed on and is in the afterlife. And it's so sad. Like before this, you see a, a, a sullen Levi on the flying boat saying, so long, Hanj, watch us. Uh, but yeah, she wakes up in this parallel world. And as I mentioned earlier. In the afterlife. Or is it? That's what I'm wondering. Like, is this the same world where we see the young Aaron declaring that he, is, he has found freedom? Yeah, but, okay, well... Because you can see, like, they have a shot of the flying boat. Like, they can see it in this realm. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. To me, calling it the, a parallel world insinuates that she didn't die. She just got isekai. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe I, I don't know. I have no clue. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, either way, it's, it's something other than where everyone else is at. But there's a number of cameos that we see, a number of uh, specific individuals that have joined Erwin um, and all the Fallen Scouts. I think you you called out a couple of them when we were talking about it before recording. Yeah, so the person who picks Hanj up from the ground is actually Moblet, 
who I think was her personal assistant. And Moblet was the one during the battle to retake Shiganshina. He had pushed Hanj into a well. I forget if it was Reiner or if it was Bertolt turning into either the Armored or the Colossal uh, that Moblet wanted to save her from getting stuck in that debris. And so he sacrificed his life to, to save her. And so it's very meaningful that he's the one that Hanj sees and he's the one that helps her up um, in this strange afterlife realm. Uh, you also see, you don't see her face, but you see Sasha right behind Erwin as he's speaking to Hanj. And to the left, you can also see um, Shadis, like looking in a different direction, but it's the back of his head. I noticed that I think some I've also seen this on on Twitter a couple of times that Sasha is not facing the camera because she's looking up at the sky at her oh, friends flying away. Yeah, I saw that. It's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's funny because you can see horses in the background too. It's like the the horses also. Oh yeah, you're were right. Transported into this afterlife. <laughs> the horses did their duty, and now they get to live in peace with everyone else. But I, I again, I don't know if this is reality or if this is just imagined, but I think this is a, a more positive contrast to thinking back to season three, part two, where there's that image of Erwin as he's standing, I think he was like, or sitting or standing atop like a pile of, a pile of his fallen comrades, kind of insinuating that like they were, they all died in vain for a truth that they couldn't reach or that, they couldn't yet understand but here it's it's something more triumphant even in the midst of all of this destruction where it's not a mountain of bodies anymore it's all of these comrades kind of having a new sense of life rejuvenated in them but it's interesting to see like what are they walking towards because it seems like they're following the path of the rumbling i didn't think about that that's a good point that erwin felt like he was this terrible person for allowing all these people to die in service of like his goal the way he puts it anyway in service of his goal um at the end of like season three part two but it is nice to see this imagery where he's on the same level as everyone literally he's Mm -hmm. on the ground with everybody he's at the same level he doesn't feel above or bigger than anyone he's almost like been accepted by the group like you are one of us. We're welcoming you here just as we are with Hanj to the afterlife or the parallel world or whatever it is, but you're one of us. So that's, that's a nice contrast, um, what he assumed would be his fate versus what actually was his fate. Yeah. I'm curious to see like if, if they're just walking to to see like from their realm like how... The, this plays out yeah they're grabbing their popcorn and they're just gonna watch it all unfold <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they've got nothing to lose now <laughs> yeah it kind of gives new meaning to what erwin says in his final charge in season three where it's like it's us who gives meaning to our comrades lives because i know like levi just said so long hanj watch us and it's so it's uh, on the shoulders of the ld avengers to see the, see this through and let these fallen comrades know that they did not die in vain with them truly and hopefully saving humanity and so we move on to chapter two sinners with them safely aboard onion coupon airlines 
the LD Avengers have a group therapy session about their mountain of unforgivable sins while strategizing with Commander Armin about the best way to pull the plug on Operation DualShock Rumbling, although Armin still prefers talking it out with Eren versus knocking it out of Eren. Speaking of the Eldian Devil, Eren Jaegermonster calls all of them into an impromptu Zoom meeting where he hears out their grievances but dismisses them by saying, Tatakaich me if you can, before rudely hanging up. Elsewhere, Annie and Kiyomi Homi are cruising away from the Bruzen via ship and also have a dashboard confessional when Falco Punch and Gung Ho Gabby burst out of the cruise quarters and tell Annie about Falco's wet, or maybe windy, dream about flying through the air, which begs a second question. Flying Titan confirmed? Elsewhere, elsewhere, Annie's father commandeers a train to Busalta with the remains of the Marlian and Eldian population in the hopes that they can grab a departing flight to anywhere but here. Unfortunately, Colonel Sanders has sent the entire air fleet into a final charge against Aaron Jaeger Monster and the Wall Titans who inch ever closer to the airbase, although Zekas Christ's brainwashed Beast Titan hurls fastballs towards the ill-fated airships from his pitching mound atop Aaron's ribcage. With the last bastion of humanity bracing for their inevitable demise, their sole salvation arrives in the form of a boat with wings, as the LD Avengers LD assemble in grandstanding fashion to put the Beast Titan back on the bench with Armin begging the last question of this special to Eren. What kind of fucked up freedom fries did you eat exactly? I think what needs to be said right off the bat about chapter 2 is that Onyan Capone is a fucking real one. Can yes. you imagine how different the story would play out in the final season if he wasn't there? Because he's the key to a lot of things, specifically around his ability to fly and his expertise with machinery. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. He's the only one that can fly this shit. <laughs> oh my God. He is, yeah, he's a real one through and through. And as the scouts are talking about various things on the plane, I did catch that Levi mentioned Aaron still having the Warhammer Titan power and I'm like oh my god I forgot about that I fucking forgot that he has the Warhammer Titan because he never mm -hmm. uses it he never talks about it he never uses it so I it like just left my brain but then we, we kind of get a reminder of that at the in the climax when I'm sure we'll talk about this later when the Beast Titan appears. Yeah, so. but even before that, I think the last time we've seen the Warhammer Titan or had anyone talk about it is when Aaron escaped the jail because mm -hmm. he used it in that moment but then that was it so that's why i'm like i i vastly underutilized titan power like it was the one secret titan power for how many seasons and then we finally get it we get one fight with the warhammer titan we don't really get to see Aaron use it so i just feel like the warhammer titan had all this potential that we never get to witness as the audience yeah here it, it's kind of just used as we'll talk about later it, it's kind of just used as a as a weapon for Aaron and Zeke. And part of the discussion happening on the plane is Armin still determined to talk things out with Aaron. Um, this has been Armin's plan from the get-go for a really long time. He's just wanted to talk things out with everybody, including trying to negotiate things with Marley. That's his, his go-to plan, which makes sense for Armin. Like, he doesn't want to choose violence. He wants to choose the most pe peaceful way of resolving issues. Levi also says that he wants to be the one to kill Zeke. and I Unfinished think, business. Yeah, I think we all know why. But also in our rewatch of season three, part two, 
it's also to fulfill his promise to Erwin. Yeah. Because he promised him in those final moments, or in Erwin's final moments, that he would take down the Beast Titan. And he was really pissed off when Pete came in and ruined his opportunity to do so. Yeah, that would be such a full circle moment to to see Levi finally take down Zeke and fulfill his promise to Erwin. And again, I think he only needs those two fingers. He doesn't need a, a full hand to whoop some Beast Titan ass. Do you think, though, that killing Zeke will actually stop the rumbling and deactivate the Founding Titan powers? Or do you think it's like a power where once it's activated, even if the original royal blood person dies, it still technically has already been like activated and so it stays on? Hmm. Yeah, I feel like even though the group is talking about like kind of shutting off Zeke as a power source to Aaron, I think like Aaron can still carry on. More so because thinking back to when he had grabbed Emir in paths and told her like you can do whatever you want like you're free now i feel like that kind of separated that condition of the royal blood where the founding titan can now just act on its own without like that royal blood prerequisite yeah because think back to the first moment we discovered aaron's ability to do this when he fist bumped dinah fritz's or Dina, what's it, what's her name? Dino, yeah, Dina Fritz's Dina or Dina Titan. Fritz's Titan. Um, and that activated it, and he screamed, and he got all the Titans to attack Dina or Dina's Titan, and as well as Reiner's uh, armored Titan. But I think it showed that there's a, it's a finite power. There's either like a time limit, or maybe it's because Dina's Titan got eaten that it shut off the power. Like, it didn't just permanently activate that for Aaron for the rest of the show. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm wondering, like, will killing Zeke stop this? Or has Aaron done something, to your point, to change that finality of that power? I don't know. We'll see. And then as the conversations continue, um, we have more of these, like, very heartfelt moments where the Marley Eldians and the Paradise Eldians are really kind of connecting and seeing eye to eye after so many years of feeling betrayed by one another. Specifically, Connie struggling with the guilt that he feels having killed Daz and that other guy and their other comrades. But then he turns to Reiner and, and recognizes how hard it must have been for Reiner, Annie, and Bertolt to do what they did at the start of the show and recognizes that like maybe there was something forcing their hand and that something was their families being held hostage by marley so it's it's nice like it's it's that closure you get when the scouts and like the marley eldians are able to recognize that everybody has sinned on both sides that nobody is is you know clear of of guilt and that you know People had to do things they didn't want to do. Kind of like what Bertolt told Armin, I think, in season three, saying, like, do you think we really want to do this? Do you think we want to be here, like, killing all these people? No, but we have things we have to protect. Yeah, I think that might have been season two when he's riding on Reiner in the Oh, Army yeah, Titan. maybe it was season two. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this this whole scene of the group and later on, like, Annie and Kiyomi like feeling like they need to atone for their sins. Um, I, I see this going back to the, the, the cycle 
again, like that cycle of violence that's been happening in this world. Because here, it's yeah, the the Marley Eldians having betrayed the Paradis Eldians, and then the Paradis Eldians in turn having betrayed their own island or or the Jaegerists, if you want to still talk about the Jaegerists. So I kind of understand Connie's point where he's like, he feels like he's far beyond saving and like just has this immense amount of guilt that lays upon his shoulders. But I think what can help in breaking the cycle is something that Reiner says to him after this, which is kind of like, let's still save what remains of humanity. Because even though this group with their their tally of sins, they might be far beyond saving. I don't think that should prevent them from playing a role in preserving the innocence and the integrity of the world to come after them. This kind of reminds me of um, the speech that Sasha's dad, Mr. Browse, gave in the episode, I think, Children of the Forest, where they're in the restaurant. And he says, it's up to us adults to shoulder the sins of the past to prevent them from happening again in the future. I think it's also through this conversation and being able to see eye to eye that Reiner, I think, finally understands Aaron's thought process. Because Aaron, I think, in the Liberio conversation said, I'm just like you, Reiner. Like, I've sinned as well. Like, there's a lot of parallels between them. And I think it may have caused Reiner to start to look at things through Aaron's point of view because Reiner's the one who realizes I think that Aaron wants us to stop him because mm-hmm. Armin's questioning like if Aaron has this founding titan ability he could easily affect all titans and all Eldians but why are we still able to use our titan powers why are we still able to choose you know make our own conscious choices and why are we still able to act freely and Reiner's sitting here thinking well if I were Aaron I'd want someone to stop me yeah and so I think this is what is is kind of fueling our theory that or maybe i don't know if you share this theory but my theory is that aaron is purposely putting them together in order for the group to target him as the public enemy number one and thinking to the climax of this where the last bastion of humanity is witnessing this fight between the ld avengers and the founding titan um i think the world will see then that you know, there are there are true good Eldians who don't want to destroy the world. They just want to destroy the hate that's built up across the world that's been personified in this rumbling. And in, in that sense, Aaron kind of becomes this unsung hero while he's kind of championing Eldia through the group's actions. On a side note, that makes me wonder... Is this also why certain Eldian families survived the rumbling and were on the train to Fort Salta? More specifically, Annie's father, Reiner's mother, and I think Gabby's parents. Yeah, that's a good point. I noticed that too, that interestingly, all of them happened to survive, happened to escape and get far, far enough away from the rumbling to, you know, have a, a quick reprieve before it catches up to them anyway. The scouts' conversation comes to an abrupt halt when they get pulled into paths. And I'm sitting here thinking, thank God Onyan Capone isn't an Eldian, or they would crash because who <laughs> yeah. would be flying the plane at that point? And they all tried to plead with Aaron. 
you've got Armin, of course, starting that off and, you know, saying we can talk this through. We need to talk this through. Everyone chimes in, including Levi. And Mikasa says something that I found really interesting. She said that the sins that Aaron has committed, they've committed too. Again, killing people to save other people. And she says, you know, I want to bear your sins with you, trying to remind him he's not alone. He doesn't have to be the the one true enemy of everyone. And she doesn't want him to go down that path. Um, but ultimately, Aaron says that he won't stop. He won't stop Can't his plan. Stop, won't stop. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't want to leave Paradise's future to chance. Which I find ironic because he's been trying to change the future. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I feel like he's just bluffing at this point. Yeah, I think he's just saying one thing and thinking another. Yeah. he, he like, It's like when he said that he hates Mikasa. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bet all my money that he, that's not the actual case. But he needed to say what he said in order to fuel Mikasa and fuel the scouts to make a difference, I guess. Yeah, I think the last thing he says is, there is but one thing for us to do since he doesn't want to go the negotiation route. And he says, he says his iconic line. Tatakai. It came back. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like Aaron, yeah, in a way he's egging them on to fight him, but I think he wants them to fight him again yeah. for that uh, perception that he, the, the scouts will be viewed in a positive light as, as the world sees this, this battle come to a head in the climax and you talked earlier about like our ongoing theories about what aaron's you know doing and we'll we'll bring this question up of course at the end of our discussion but it's it's that self-sacrifice play it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of what we've been theorizing this entire time we being like carl and myself our own personal theories about what aaron is really doing side note i think i've mentioned the youtube channel monkey trouble they've posted a lot of great Attack on Titan final season memes as the parts have been coming out. There's like a fresh slate of content right now. It's it's usually like Attack on Titan mixed with SpongeBob. Um, so I encourage everyone to go check out that YouTube channel. Again, it's called Monkey Trouble. There is one video that takes the scene from Paths and it's where Levi is pointing towards, I think, you know, the, the scouts think it's Aaron, but it's actually the fish on the bike. From spongebob where he's like oh yeah <laughs> uh, i can explain uh, but there's other great videos as well so i encourage you all to check them out yeah we'll drop a link in the discord so you guys can see that channel so we talked about aaron as a kid um here we see him again in paths but this time we see him with emir and they're kind of like you know both standing there with with their eyes covered and looking all brooding and stuff i i don't get it i don't know <laughs> i don't know what this is trying to symbolize i don't know why aaron as a kid is in paths when we hear aaron as, as an adult speaking and why he's hanging out with emir do you have any theories on this um i actually didn't think about it i don't know if, it, if this is also linked to the young aaron that we see in that different realm but in in paths <laughs> they're, they're seeing him as the, the depressed young aaron instead of the the bright and shining young aaron yeah, I'm, I'm guessing we'll get more context um, in the the next part or the final part. But I, I really don't know what to think at this point because this is the first time we're seeing Aaron and Emir hanging out together as kids. But as Aaron closes his uh, non-negotiation speech, he says in order to gain freedom, he'll take freedom from the rest of the world. But he won't take freedom from the scouts, the people that he loves and cares about. I think it's... 
like we said, it's because he wants them to choose freely and to change the future or maybe play right into the future that he's seen. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because he doesn't want the whole point of what he's doing is to give freedom to the people he cares about. So why would he take it away? <laughs> yeah, again, I, I think it's like Aaron has the hand that he's dealt and he's gambling on the LD Avengers in choosing what to do in this situation that they'll have a hand that beats out his hand. Going back to the, the, the that's so Raven analogy <laughs> where he's, he doesn't see something that could affect what he actually sees in the future. After the, the paths exchange and they're back in the airplane and on young components, like what the fuck just happened to all of you? Um, we see everyone looking pretty depressed because they're like, well, shit, how are we going to talk to him now if he's not willing to talk? Then we switch over to the boat. And I have a big question. One of my big questions of this discussion. Since when can the female Titan manifest powers from others by consuming a part of them? Has, has that been talked about? Do I just not remember? I, I don't remember this either. But the, the thing I connected in this is that the female Titan has a scream that can s- summon other titans like the beast titan yeah yeah or i think that's just um because of zeke himself being of royal blood so oh yeah okay i don't know if if that's what is being like if it's being implied that the female titan only has his power because zeke had given a part of his titan but like how would that have happened because she would have had to eat the previous female titan wielder she didn't Mm -hmm. unless she became a pure titan through zeke's spinal fluid because he's of royal blood, so I guess that would be how they'd make all those syringes. Yeah, I don't know if, like, maybe Zeke gave her some of his spinal fluid in secret. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I, I thought that was just an inherent power of the female titan. That's what we've thought this entire time. And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, it's just like your female titan. I'm like, when the fuck did this happen? It's like when Jotaro was, you know, the the whole, like, the world meme. Yeah. Like, it's the same power as... <laughs> As your stand, I'm not gonna. I don't want to say too much. I don't want to spoil a bunch of stuff, but it's it's it feels like that. Like it just came out of left field, and I'm thinking back real hard on whether or not we've ever gotten a hint of this. Yeah, I, I can't think of any other instance where this is brought up. If anyone listening knows of a specific spot in the anime, not the manga, please, um, in the anime of where they talk about or hint at the female titan being able to manifest powers by consuming a part of another Titan, please let us know. But basically, Falco says that he probably took in a part of Zeke from the spinal fluid that got into his mouth. And because of that, one, his jaw Titan looks like an animal, which explains why it looks like a bird. But also it's like, you know, great writing (laughs) because Falco's name is Falco for a reason. Um, But then two he had a dream of being able to fly <laughs> because... Flying Titan confirmed. Yeah, I know you brought this theory up a long time ago and, well, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was um, with, with like the, the generals of Marley were talking about not having air superiority and they all looked at the sky. I was like, I think this is a hint towards flying Titans. And so this would make sense because we've seen Falco's jaw Titan form. It had fucking feathers on his arms so why not use those feathers to actually fly and i think this is what's going to allow annie to reunite with her love because maybe like now 
reflecting on like you know they've committed so many sins but she sees that the ld avengers are pouring their heart into stopping the rumbling that this gives her like a change of heart and then she can ride falco as the jaw titan (laughs) over (laughs) to fort salta and help out the group and then finally confess her love for armin Mm -hmm. well speaking of fort salta we then switch scenes over to the Marleans and the Eldians heading that way on the train. And I think the big takeaway here um, is the speech that we get from the Marleyan general or commander, whoever that guy is. Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders <laughs> of Marley. Actually, I want to bring up a fun fact because I was kind of wondering, is there meaning behind the name Salta with Fort Salta? And I read somewhere that Salta is actually the word Atlas backwards. And in Greek mythology, Atlas is the name of a titan. And it's a titan that was condemned to hold the world upon his shoulders for eternity. Mm. So I think this the name is kind of fitting, even though it's backwards, because this is like the last bastion of the world's inhabitants. Like it's being held in this fort. I could see that. Knowing Isayama, I could definitely see that. But at this, uh, at, at this moment, we have that, Marley and Colonel Sanders making this grand <laughs> speech about putting the past behind them, about seeing each other as equals and working together to survive and saying it's all of their fault, meaning the Marleyans' faults for treating Eldians like the devils of the island and then vows to never make the same mistake if they survive. And I'm sitting here thinking, isn't this what Aaron was striving for? Right. For that peace among everybody in the world by having a common enemy, a common goal in mind a reason to unite yeah i think this whole episode is just confirming our theories one after the other so i am i'm really hoping that you know in the end aaron just wasn't a fucking dick like he was actually (laughs) trying to save the world just in a different means the other takeaway i'd say from this scene um before the fighting really begins is reiner's mom Let's talk about that for a second. Reiner's mom feels guilty for using him back in the day to get back at Marley or to, you know, repent for the sins of previous Eldians. And I don't know. I'm just looking at her like, bitch, look at him now. Look what you did to him. Now he just wants to die. (laughs) You used him and now he just wants to die peacefully. (laughs) Yeah, I think Mrs. Brown and Mr. Leonhardt kind of share that same, same sentiment where, you know, they... They were the ones who sent their children to to fight for whatever grudge they held. Uh, I don't. It's, part of me felt like it was a little too convenient for them to also realize the error of their ways after Colonel Sanders gave his speech. Um, but <laughs> I guess if you think about it, like they finally realized that they too are shitty anime parents. Um, <laughs> but I guess like it with them being almost at the the very end of the world. It's better for them to come to the realization now than to die never having come to it. Yeah, although I'd say that Andy's dad is a little less egregious than that because part of me felt like he, yeah, he sent her to be a warrior, but also he was training her to be able to defend herself and be a skilled fighter to Mm. ultimately protect her because he kept telling her he wanted her to come home. That was her mm. whole goal. It was to come home. Like that's that's all that's been on her mind. It's like I just want to go home to my dad, and I think he instilled that in her. Like 
you know, this is going to be your, your fate, but I want you to be successful so that you can come home and we can be reunited versus Reiner's mom, who was just like, you need to get this shit done because I'm a salty bitch. <laughs> well, I feel like, um, with Annie's dad's case, cause uh, was he also like feeling or like, was he also coming to the realization that he had, had done something wrong with how he raised Annie? Cause I feel like he wouldn't have had to raise her that way. And could have allowed her to just become, or like just to be a child. I feel like he came to that realization right before she left on her mission to parodies. Mm. Because they did have that heart, if I remember correctly, they did have like a heartfelt moment. Because he had been very tough with her through most of her childhood. But then right before he left, or she left, I think that's when they had a more like touching moment between the two of them. And I think that's why Annie then became so motivated to return home to her dad I, I think basically the world was so cruel that these two had become shitty anime parents so. <laughs> so now the fighting begins let's talk about this because there's like an air raid and then aaron stops it all because you know apparently zeke is attached to his back and zeke can throw shit That's but a- my whole time but the whole time I'm thinking, okay, you have this air raid. Why wouldn't you save one airship? Yeah. Just save one airship so that you have an escape route. Even if you ultimately couldn't escape the rumbling, at least you could try. Like, what the hell were you thinking, dude? Yeah, Colonel Sanders did not think too far ahead. So thankfully, Onyankopon has the flying boat. That's I would hope that's their last saving grace, although I just realized the, the, the flying boat's out of fuel. And it can't fit all those people. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what the fuck they're going to do. But I think this this kind of confirmed another thing that I've mentioned in a previous episode is that Zeke is just dangling from one of Aaron's ribs. Yeah, <laughs> you said that before. That's right. <laughs> so it was so funny seeing the Beast Titan. I think it's still attached to some of Aaron's bones. I feel like a, a string or something. Kind of like what the Warhammer had to attach the user's crystal to the actual titan but yeah i'm glad that this episode confirmed two things that i talked about before the flying titan potentially and zeke hanging from aaron's rib guys we swear we have never come close to touching the manga we have this yeah, is we have all not. coincidental <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we see that uh that lightning ball or that ball of light as the air raid is happening which i assume is zeke transforming in that moment and at first i was like why is he all white and why is he attached to aaron but you're right i think it is a warhammer thing i think he's mm-hmm. somehow fused with the warhammer titan ability to stick to aaron so he doesn't fly away as like the rumblings happening. But then it, it brings up the question of like, how is he able to use these lightning beams while throwing pieces of bone or rocks or whatever they are? Like, where's the lightning part coming from? Yeah, I don't know if that's just akin to the Warhammer Titans transformation. Um, I was also thinking like, what is Zeke throwing at these airships? But I think because of the Warhammer Titans ability, He's able to just manifest objects. I'm, I'm assuming rocks. In oh, his hand. like it's probably just hardening. Because the, yeah. the Warhammer creates weapons through hardening. Right. So yeah, you're right. It's probably not pieces of bone. It's probably him hardening to yeah. have something to throw. Otherwise, Zeke would just be sitting there on Aaron's rib cage, not being able to do anything. So that's why I said earlier. I feel like the Warhammer Titan here is just being used as a sort of weapon um, in order for 
Zeke to to take down these airships. And it's got to be Aaron manipulating the Warhammer Titan abilities because why would Zeke be able to use it at all? So I think mm-hmm. he's probably using Aaron's probably using the founding to then amplify the Warhammer Titan abilities to allow Zeke to tap into them. And I think using the founding of Titan's ability to control Titans, I'm sure he's controlling Zeke as the Beast Titan to do his bidding. Yeah, because Zeke's probably pissed at him right now. Yeah. <laughs> He'd probably try to kill Aaron, honestly, because he's right. like, dude, you, you totally turned your back on me. But oh, how the turntables. Uh, we last saw Marley airdropping Reiner and Titans down on Paradise mm-hmm. at the end of what, part one of the final season? Yeah. And now we see Paradise airdropping the scouts down on the southern part of Marley at this fort. And you also get the recognition from the Marleyan soldiers saying, Wait, the, that's ODM gear. Are are people of Paradise coming to help us now to mm-hmm. stop the rumbling? And again, this is all kind of playing into what we assume to be Aaron's plan, where Marleans are now realizing, oh, maybe the people of Paradise aren't so bad. Um, I also had a quick moment of, of freak out as Onion Coupon was trying to land the plane. I was like, he better not die. Did we, yeah. did we actually see him land the plane? We see no. him approach. But we haven't seen him land, right? No, there's a shot of... The plane runs out of fuel, and then it's it's still heading towards Fort Salta, but it's still a ways away. So I think that's a cliffhanger, too, is we don't know if Onyan Capone makes it to the fort. But my God, I hope he comes out of this alive. Me too. I want him to live. There's a couple of characters that I am like desperate to have survived this whole thing. And Onion Coupon is absolutely one of them. Especially if Yelena doesn't die, he better not die. Where's Yelena? Oh, she's on the boat still, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, she's still sulking because she can't suck Zeke dick or anything, whatever. <laughs> and at the climax of the airdropping Titans down on the founding Titan and on Zeke, um, we have everyone going after everyone. I feel like we've got the armored titan going after zeke as levi is also catching up to take him out mm-hmm. and then we've got peak transforming into the jaw titan cart titan i'm sorry cart titan and clinging on to Aaron with those bombs strapped to her body yeah the bombs that were strapped around the flying boat originally yeah and then we've got connie who's trying to land but he's like dude i can't find anywhere to land there's too many rocks being thrown everywhere <laughs> and then mikasa is like dive bombing towards the front of the Founding Titans, yeah, it's just a bunch of chaos. Everyone's doing their thing. And when Armin lands on the Founding Titan, he says, when we drag Aaron out of his Titan body, I'm going to ask him, in what way are you free? So that just confirms that Armin is still planning to talk things through with Aaron. Even though Aaron said, there is no talking, there is no negotiating, Armin still wants to give it one last shot. And when it comes to that question, Armin asking if Aaron is really free, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, yeah, is I feel like this is almost like a philosophical or rhetorical question. But I think the way that Armin's phrasing it is like more so like why are you using your freedom to do something so horrible instead of trying to achieve this through a more positive means even though like we've seen before with like bureaucracy and red tape it's kind of what led Aaron to this moment but what how how did you see this question 
I saw it similarly. I think it's it's a rhetorical question. Is that the right term? Like yeah. Armin knows the answer, and Armin knows that Aaron knows the answer. It just needs it just needs to be said. The answer is one hundred percent no. Aaron is not free because this is nothing that he wants. We we established this in the beginning of the special that the rumbling is not what Aaron actually wants. He doesn't want to kill anybody, um, but he's giving up his freedom to grant freedom to everybody else. Again, it's mm. that self sacrifice play. He's Aaron is a slave to his future memories, and this is why he's constantly looking for that glimmer of hope to be able to change the future and still has not found it. So he's a slave to what he feels needs to be done or what will be done based on fate, based on those future memories. So I think it's just Armin trying to push Aaron to admit that this is not what he really wanted all along. Yeah. And I realize as much as Aaron says, I am free, he really was a slave to the rumbling. And so this just makes me think, is... Or are the LD Avengers Aaron's last gamble in the world hopefully attaining true freedom for everybody? Not just Marleyans, not just Eldians, everybody. And of course, the episode, the special ends here. But I'm kind of sad because, you know, with episodes before in Attack on Titan, they've always ended with the title card that says to be continued. Oh, yeah. And so I was hoping, you know, at the the conclusion of this series, we would get the title card that just is the, in that same style, but it says the end because that would just bring so much more finality and a sense of, like, coming full circle because it's always been to be continued, and now we've reached the conclusion. But I don't think with the format that they're going with for these final chapters if they will have that title card. So a little bit of a letdown there, but... It's... They easily could have, though. They they mm-hmm. could have easily had to be continued because there's at least one more part that we're getting. Yeah. Um, and they also could have had Armin chime in and recap because Armin's been telling this story since episode one of the show. Now, maybe he'll have, like, one grand narrative in part two where he can finally close out the storybook of Attack on Titan. Yeah, because that's been one of my my ongoing theories is that Armin is narrating because he's telling the story of what happened. This is almost like a a reflection or like passing the knowledge on to other generations or whatever, but he's narrating. We've we've gotten like so many hints about that even beyond him talking through like the the previews for the next episode. But even though we don't get any previews for this episode, I think Although I think there was a teaser that dropped for the final chapters part two that'll come out in fall of this year. Uh, We do get an ED and the title for the ED is Under the Tree by Sim, which I keep thinking of uh, in sync. The the boy band in sync did a song. I think it was called Under My Tree for the Christmas song. Yeah. uh, (laughs) For their Christmas album. But this is under the tree, not under my tree. Uh, so they invited Sim back, which is great because they they knocked it out of the park with the rumbling. But this too makes me kind of sad because I thought this would have been a great opportunity for Link to Horizon to make a comeback. But unfortunately, that's not the case. But again, we still have Sim, and that's fantastic. Uh, so uh, visuals-wise... 
it's Aaron walking or someone walking, probably yes. Aaron. Walking cycle. Yeah. And then we get a bunch of stills of birds flying, which is a constant symbolism in Attack on Titan that represents the freedom that Aaron's seeking. Mm-hmm. So not surprised that there's birds. Yeah. And then we get three manifestations of the eponymous tree that's been or that is being discussed in the song. I think we have the tree that appears in paths. Then we have the tree that Aaron is sleeping under at the very beginning of the series. And then the tree that Emir goes to and finds, I think it was called the source of all living matter, which turned her into the founding Titan. So all the symbolism of, of trees there. Not going to lie, I didn't realize, I didn't put any of this together until this song played at the very end. Like the entire mm-hmm. time watching Attack on Titan, rewatching Attack on Titan, none of this clicked for me. I was like, holy shit, I just realized that the tree Aaron wakes up under at the beginning of Attack on Titan is like the paths tree. Mm-hmm. And that is like the tree that Emir fell into. Like I did not, none of that clicked. So thank you, Sim, for putting together the song called Under the Tree to make me realize what Isayama was trying to do. Yeah, and lyrics-wise for Under the Tree, I feel like this song might be sung from Mikasa's perspective because the lyrics mention things like a bird, a butterfly, and my red scarf. Uh, A bird, as we've talked about, kind of symbolizes freedom since, you know, birds can spread their wings and go wherever the fuck they want. Uh, Butterfly, I think we've talked about before. I think this kind of refers to the the butterfly effect where one simple action leads to something, like a larger action that can be epic or or catastrophic. Um, I think you can apply that to several situations in Attack on Titan. The one that comes to the forefront of my mind is when Eren talks to Grisha in the past memory and forces him to take the founding Titan, how that simple event kind of triggered everything that happens with Aaron taking the founding Titan and the attack Titan himself and then initiating the rumbling. So that's the butterfly. And then red scarf, of course, is in reference to Mikasa's scarf. And then you have parts of the chorus with lines like, why, oh, why don't you want to stay with me? Why, oh, why are you giving up on me? I'll be waiting for you. Let me hold you under the tree. So I I keep thinking of Mikasa saying these lines to Eren. Um, and maybe this will be synonymous with something she does say to Eren in part two. Because um, I said this many times already. I feel like she might be Eren's saving grace who wants to take him away from his pain, from his torment. Or as Courtney mentioned earlier, how she wants to also bear his sins on her shoulders. It also reminds me of the moment that they met. Aaron saved her life. Mm-hmm. Now, she's saved his life plenty of times. I think she's repaid that debt over and over again. But I think there's this this closure piece, this coming full circle of you know being able to, like I said, save Aaron in a significant way that he saved her in the beginning. And that brings us to our final thoughts for Attack on Titan, the final season, the final chapters, part one. So how many sinners in the hands of an angry Aaron out of 10 would you give this special episode? I would give it a 9.5 out of 10. Um, I I thought it was 
incredibly good. It was legitimately an emotional roller coaster going from the highs of all of the shipping moments that I could ever want from Attack on Titan, um, all of the, the funny quips from like Hanj and, and Levi and everything, to all of the lows of Aaron being extremely depressed in the beginning and, and seeing all that destruction, Hanj dying, um, Aaron not wanting to talk things through with everybody. It was just fantastic. I think where I, I, I hesitate to give it a full 10 out of 10 is that I felt the the special focused very much so on like closure moments and like nice moments, like kind of tying up loose ends where it didn't have anything particularly mind-blowing in the way that we get mind-blowing parts in part one and part two. Like mm. the entire sequence that happens after Aaron and Zeke touch each other and then they go back in time and like just everything that we were theorizing and trying to debunk and trying to figure out, like, there was nothing in this special, I would say maybe other than Kid Aaron showing up in, like, these various ways that had me thinking intensely the way those other moments did in parts one and two. So I felt like everything that was happening in the special was fantastic to watch. I mean, just, like, amazing. And I, I do appreciate those closure moments, those really nice moments, like when Annie and Reiner make up and they hug. And, like, I love those moments. But... All of them were almost like, I don't want to say expected, because a lot of things are pretty unexpected in this show, but they just kind of felt like we were, it was something we were leading to the entire time. So I wasn't like, holy shit, that's amazing. It was more like, okay, I felt this coming, and it's so nice to finally be here. I would say the only two moments that were out of left field for me that I didn't expect was Hanj dying and then Flock coming back and dying. I figured Flock would die at some point. I just didn't think it would be so soon. And then on top of that, I felt like Zeke's reveal was a little lackluster. Like he was just there. I kind of was hoping that it would be more like, um, more like a wow factor because we didn't know at the end of part two if Zeke was still alive. Like we didn't know his whereabouts. And so here it's just kind of like, oh, Zeke is Zeke's there. He transforms, he shows up. Has no speaking lines, nothing. He's just attached to Aaron's back. But again, with all of those minor gripes, I think overall this was absolutely fantastic. Mappa, despite giving us some hesitation and some concern with the way things rolled out for this special, I think they absolutely delivered. They've given me renewed hope that they are going to do this show justice and give us the finale that Attack on Titan deserves. It, it's going to be historic. And MAPPA is a great place for it to all come to a close. But what about you? I would also give this special episode 9.5 out of 10. I think it was an explosive return to Attack on Titan, the final season, and a phenomenal transition into the conclusion of this anime saga. But I feel like I might have had to dock that half point because it, it slightly feels transitional in a sense yeah that's that's a good way of putting it i guess the way that i picture it is thinking back to uh harry potter and the deathly hallows when those films came out in theaters you've lost me i don't know what that what that's gonna <laughs> well, mean <laughs> it, it came out in two parts there was part one and part two and part one kind of felt transitional where it was mostly a, a journey and then part two was where all of the 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 climactic shit happened and i think that's going to be the case with these two 
final chapter special episodes part one is going to be that transition where it was kind of like a journey to get us to Aaron in the founding titan form and then part two will be like all the actual the meaty shit that's going to happen that will really wrap up this story but despite all of that and despite its shaky on-screen stateside premiere i feel like the year-long wait was still very well worth it as the LD Avengers tie up some more loose ends, heal some emotional wounds, and kick some colossal ass. Although, of course, we have to pour one out for another fallen comrade, Hanjasan, for a job well done and a life well lived. Also, I didn't bring this up earlier. Why is it always the brunette-haired characters that have a demise? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Although, Gabby's still alive, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe she's, she's next on the chopping block. But I also appreciate it in the special that the group tried to dig deeper into Aaron's psyche as he leads his doomsday parade to determine if he truly is the monster that he's become or if he is intentionally setting them up to make things right as the perceived saviors of humanity, which are things that we've been theorizing about. So it's great that some of these theories almost seem like they're coming to fruition now. And it's just fascinating how this continues to be a point of contention even at this point in the series but with the answer to is Aaron a hero or a villain lying just beyond the linked horizon it only builds up my anticipation to know the truth as well as knowing the truth of what that afterlife realm exactly is or the truth of will I see a goddamn titan with wings and it seems kind of fitting that the special ends with our heroes and I guess anti-hero in a setting evocative of the wild west as the eyes of the world lay upon them like an old-fashioned cowboy duel because who knows besides the manga readers what the outcome is going to look like and what it'll mean for this world as it hopefully continues moving forward and as agonizing as it has been to go through multiple iterations of this quote-unquote final season i still can't fucking wait for the final final conclusion but also Oh my god, this journey is almost coming to an end, and I don't know how I'm going to deal with it come fall 2023. I do want to chime in one more time and just say how much I appreciate and love those moments of closure that we got in the special, or those moments of tying up loose ends, um, or of reconciliation between characters. I, I think that that shouldn't be understated. I think that's incredibly important to a successful conclusion now not every loose end needs to be tied up although when we're talking isayama he's probably going to find a way to do so because his writing is incredible um but it, it just it makes things feel complete mm -hmm. even if again there are some some things that don't end up being resolved by the end of the show i i just i like that we're trying to be as complete as possible and I don't know. To me, I like a clean ending. <laughs> I don't know if the ending will be clean. Who who knows what to expect with Attack on Titan and with the way Isayama likes to do things. But I definitely left the special feeling incredibly satisfied at the way some of the story beats did come to a close. Yeah, I would say like tying up those loose ends and getting that closure, it felt rewarding and it felt deserved. Uh, I can only think of like Game of Thrones, the finale of that, and how none of that felt deserved at all. Holy shit! And so, <laughs> you know, I'm hoping I don't I don't think it will, but I'm hoping that Attack on Titans finale 
doesn't crash and burn like Game of Thrones' finale, which I think is still fresh in many people's minds. Although I, I have heard talks about the ending to Attack on Titan being controversial, which I, I don't mean, think it's how a, is it not going to be controversial? Yeah. I think there's no way to to avoid. No, that. yeah, I don't think you're going to please everyone with an ending, but I think that's what's going to make it more of an interesting thing to talk about. Because if if something just ended up tightly wrapped in a bow, now I'm thinking of Promise Neverland season two, where it tried to end things neatly tied up in a bow. And people were like, what the fuck? PowerPoint presentation. Right. So we don't want any of that happening. But I think if, you know, if an ending leaves people divided, yeah, it it might suck on some level. But I think that just makes for great discussion. And, you know, I, I don't think that'll, unless it's something that's really from left field, I don't think that's going to knock out Attack on Titan having the legacy that it does in anime now. So before we close things out, we want to revisit that ongoing question that we've had throughout our Attack on Titan special event. And I'm probably rewording it a little bit or wording it a bit different than how we have in the past. But the ongoing question is, do we think Aaron is actually the villain? Or do we think that he is doing the right thing? Like, do we think that Aaron, uh, do we still feel like we can get behind what Aaron is doing? in the show. So do you want me to start or do you want to start by sharing your thoughts? Yeah, I will say that Aaron is still a hero in my eyes because I feel like he is just going to be an unsung hero. Like he is intentionally painting himself as the enemy so that he can put his friends, the scouts, the LD Avengers in a better light so that what's left of the world can see that they can all <laughs> they can all live in harmony together if they just put their differences aside and i guess symbolically put an end to the centuries of hatred by taking him down and him becoming the scapegoat what is your answer i feel similarly i i still root for aaron i still believe in aaron I don't paint him as the villain. I think that he is still making that self-sacrifice play um, to look like the villain, but to benefit the people that he cares about. I think it's drastically underplayed how Aaron could simply force the scouts to submit or to stop using, um, you know, to stop, you know, using their own Titan powers or to not have the freedom to choose by just choosing to to force their hand like i think that him choosing to allow them to maintain their freedom even when he knows full well they're going to stop his plan somehow shows that one he actually does want them to be free and cares about them and then two that his plan isn't to take over the world or to kill everyone he does truly want someone to stop him and he's allowing the scouts to be that force that can stop him. So I think by becoming, like you said, the sole enemy for the world, he can unite everyone and and finally give everyone the freedom that he has longed for their sake. So I, I think that Aaron has a bigger plan at play. And I think the beginning of this special really hammered that in because this is clearly not what Aaron wants at the end of the day. And he hates this. He hates every last bit of it but he just can't find a way to change it. 
He just has to keep moving forward. Yeah, (laughs) in his big-ass founding Titan form. And with that, another Attack on Titan special event episode has concluded. It will not be the end. We will be back with our Attack on Titan special event when Attack on Titan returns at the end of 2023. Because again, we did get confirmation at the end of the special that something is going to happen at the end of 2023. So look forward to that. We're very excited about it. We hope you guys are excited about it. And thank you guys so much for tuning in for another Attack on Titan discussion. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And tune into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Sasageo. Shinzo wo sasageo. <laughs> that was my piss poor attempt at Levi. <laughs>